Mac Power Users, episode 167, Workflows with Brett Terpstra. Drink. Hello, everyone. What? I said drink. <laughs> drink. Oh, you confused me. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mac Power Users podcast. He's David Sparks. And I'm Katie Floyd. I'm sorry, that was your intro. That's okay. And along with us today is our pal, Brett Terpstra. Hi, Brett. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I, I was I was thinking that you're like the Alec Baldwin of the Mac Power Users. I think you've, Aww, been, you've been on that's... like three or four times. I've kind of lost track. Wait, but, you have Alec Baldwin on three or four times? No, but if, if you're watching Saturday Night Live, it's like every other yeah. week he's the, he's the host. He should be, though. He's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, um, but the funny thing is we bring you in as our expert whenever we run into something we want to talk about, like tagging, which we're going to talk about later tonight. But I got a looking. I don't think we've ever actually done a workflow show with you, Brett. So um, we want to do that. I want to hear about how you make things happen. For people out there who don't know Brett, uh, Brett does a lot of great things. He's, uh, what, what is it, the mad scientist of the Mac? Is that your uh, your moniker these days? I, I, I choose mad scientist as my description, yes. Yes. So Brett is the guy who makes really cool little automator uh, actions and Perl scripts, scripts and, and text yeah. expander things. Um, I remember once I had some kind of weird thing going on and I and I sent you an email saying, hey, Brett, how would I do this? And then like, and this was like late at night and you're on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. So it was really late at night for you. And then like an hour later, you send me back a script and it just made me feel like really special, really special. You so, are special. So, my, so my Brett favorite does this thing crazy is, stuff is when Brett gets into something that I'm into, like he's, he's really gotten into day one or you did for a while. You were into day one and you were like, oh, let me script yeah. day one. And then out of that came Slogger, which is the yeah. awesome. Let me take everything that you do and pull it into day one. So you really don't have to journal all that much application because I'm taking <laughs> the journaling. Uh, and then yeah. you were into doing Self journal. Yeah, you were doing Alfred workflows for a while and you were plugging stuff into launch bar. And, and of course, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the awesome marked. And now you've got version two out. Yeah, in fact, uh, probably tomorrow 2.2. 2. Oh, wow. You know, okay, so here's what I did last night. Well, actually, all weekend. Um, marked, it previews markdown files, but it has a special feature where you can include files together in each other so you can create like a table of contents in one text file and when you preview that table of contents it'll actually pull in all of those files it's and like, hi- them it's like hypertext linking almost well except without linking it makes yeah. one single document out of yeah. it yeah but when you do that and you're going through you know you pull seven files together seven chapters of a book and you're reading them all at once and you're looking at a spelling error and you mark's not an editor so then you have to figure out which file you're looking at. And what I added was you can hit a button now and it pops up a colored bar on the left side of the screen that handles nested uh, nested inclusions and highlights where each file starts and ends. And then you can click it and it'll open that particular file in your editor. And I, I, I don't think anyone uses that feature, but I made it 10 times better. It's kind of nice. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. So marked is the premier application. If you write a markdown to permit to preview your markdown, I mean, it's, it's, it's come a long only, way, really. I guess it does it's more one than of the that only now. dedicated apps. Yeah. But I mean, it's like it previews Scrivener files. It does code. It, it does a whole bunch of stuff. Even does Mars edit. Yeah. 
So if you're you're blogging through Mars Edit, you can get previews from Mars Edit into Marked live as you type. And that's got that's a lot what's more so efficient freaky with is the live as you type part. I don't understand how that works. It's like magic. It's always watching you. Yeah, that scares me a little bit. Sure. I'm, Brett, you've just made so many great things to the community. You wrote that sixty tips book with me a couple of years ago, and um, and you do all this stuff, and everybody must think, well, Brett sits around all day, you know, fiddling with his computer, making these great things. But the fact is, you have a day job too, and and you work. I don't. Know, can you say where you work? I'm not sure if that's a secret yeah. or not. No, it's Brett not. works work for, for the AOL. NSA. Oh, <laughs> is that the cover <laughs> now? No, AOL but, Tech. Yeah. I, I'm. I have this. I'm so. I, I have this secret pride in the stuff that Brett does. I'm whenever Apple has a big announcement, if you go to Engadget and you look at, they always have the best presentation of you know the live the blogging live events. Blogs, yeah. You know the way they they you scroll through the text and it shows you the pictures and they kind of go across the top of the screen as they become relevant to the texture. And and I was saying. I was talking to Brett offline when I saw that. I'm like, man, that's really cool. Who did they hire to do that? And of course, Brett did it. So, did you do that in an hour or two? <laughs> no, no, actually, me and uh, uh, my friend Joe spent a weekend in Vegas uh, uh, during CES. Yeah. And we kind of built that whole thing out uh, over the course of a CES. Yeah. So, Brett, some people go to Vegas and get married. And some, some people, people go to Vegas, go to Vegas all night. and they build the, the premier live blogging engine in a hotel room. Yeah. I didn't see much of Vegas that trip. I, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> I I'm just constantly amazed by all the great stuff you create, Brett. And as a member of the community, just thank you for all the stuff you make. Uh, one, one last one I would call out that I just really love. Well, there's so many we're going to talk about them throughout <laughs> the show, but like the markdown service pack that you do just awesome. So basically you take a lot of the markdown tools and you allow people to use them in whatever text editor they choose. That's in fact, that made it in my markdown book. That was like one of the big tips coming away from that book. And then uh, like Katie likes the fact that you got into day one. I know you're also now into pop clip, which is one of my favorite apps. And you've just been spitting out all these pop clip services the last couple months. Yeah. I, I love pop clip. I didn't, I didn't get into it for a long time. It seemed like, why would I want to do that with, you know, because I'm a keyboard guy. But then I realized I do select a lot of stuff with my mouse, primarily with my mouse. And, uh, yeah, Pop Clip became kind of essential to me. I miss it. If it if it happens to hang or crash in the background and I don't notice, I find it very, very quickly. I'll, I'll discover that when I'm selecting text and nothing's popping up, that it just feels wrong. All right. So the, the outline for the show today, uh, number one, I want to talk about your setup and the way you get all this work done. Maybe a little talk about how you got into programming. Uh, number two, I want to go back to tagging. We did a show with you on tagging and that has changed quite dramatically since we got Mavericks. And in fact, we can talk a little bit about that, that project you're working on. And third, I'd like to talk a little bit about your music because I know you do a lot of music too. Sound good? Sure. All right. So let's start out with Brett Terpstra, super programmer. Um, what, what is your setup, Brett? Hardware or software? Start with the big stuff. Yeah. Let's start with hardware. I I have a treadmill desk. Oh, you too. Yeah. And, uh, uh, sitting on that desk is a 27 inch cinema display that runs off of my MacBook air 13 inch. And that little setup right there is 
years of honing like uh, behind me i have a desk that has uh two 23s and a 27 inch monitor and a mac pro and all this stuff that i haven't touched for uh, six months because this little setup with one big screen and one little mac it's it's it flies it does everything for me so which um, which treadmill desk did you go with do you know the come on we need make and model next next desk and the lifespan treadmill and it's an awesome desk because I can push a button and it smoothly goes from standing to sitting. So I can flip the I can flip the treadmill on its side and drop the desk down and sit in my nice uh what kind of chair did I get? Chadwick chair. And for doing podcasts and things. And uh and it can go from sitting to standing without even like shaking a cup of coffee. It's so smooth. So this is Dude. a um it's a it's a pretty low profile treadmill if I'm if I'm looking at the yes. right thing on the website. It's a walking treadmill. It can't do more than I think four miles per hour. It's just designed for walking all day. And how many miles are you getting a day on it? Mm, I've had a, a lapse for the last week, but I average um about eleven thousand not miles steps. steps sorry, yeah. oh, okay, right. eleven thousand steps. 11 to 15 steps is that's good. That's good. My goal is always 10,000. I do a pretty good job of getting it, but I have to, you know, actually walk somewhere to make it happen or (laughs) wear wear out the carpet and circles around my desk, which I do. Hey, I want to talk about your desk a little bit though. This next desk, I've been looking at these two, but I just can't justify it right now or, or really afford it with college coming down the road. But this is the one that they recommended at wire cutter. This next desk. What's wire cutter? I'm That's, sorry. You know, wire, it's, it's a really great website where they have, um, they pick like what they think the best of something is, and then they give you a recommendation for it. And they're trustworthy? Yeah, they are. They are. Awesome. And then, so the, the desk itself looks, looks pretty simple. I mean, I, it's yeah. got, it's got some fancy electronics in it, but it looks just like a plain tabletop. No, no drawers. I, I think you can get it optionally with a keyboard stand and, or, or keyboard tray. Um, but the, and you have to, you do have to get it with a keyboard tray. Okay. I mean, they don't, they don't require it, but I can tell you that I, I added my own six way, uh, adjustable keyboard stand and you can't use a keyboard sitting on a standing desk at any kind of ergonomic position. Yeah. If you have your monitor at the right height for your eyes and neck, it won't work for your keyboard. You have to put a keyboard tray on it. Okay. It's so, worth the 90 bucks they charge. So when you put a, um, so when you have your MacBook Air, is it, is that the new one? Are you still the last time we were together at MacWorld? You had, I believe, one of the first generation. Yeah, I've updated since then. Okay, this it, one is yeah, it's a 2013. It's a 13 inch. Yeah. What you do for RAM? Um, I think it's got four. Yeah, we we talked about RAM and the um, upgrading for Maverick show, and got a lot of email from listeners saying, "Hey, uh, oh, I was wrong, eight. Yeah, they, they were saying, because they were saying, well, I'm going to buy a new Mac this this uh, holiday season. How much RAM should I get? And my universal response is get as much as you can afford, because yeah, especially that's with the old response. Is it? You think that's SSD is so much more important than RAM now. You think so? Absolutely. If you you could put 24 gigs into a, a computer, but if it boots off of a spinning disk, your uh, my little eight eight gigabyte SSD is going to be faster. Yeah. Well, but don't you think it when you're getting the computer that you should get the 
the most RAM. I mean, well, sure. in terms of bang for the buck, because like if you want to more up, is better. Yeah, if you want to update the SSD on a new MacBook, it, it, first of all, they're coming with high, bigger drives now, so you're doing better. But the upgrade price for those, I mean, I think like. Someone was telling me they upgraded, they bought the, the most recent Retina MacBook Pro and they got one gigabyte SST, which I didn't even know you could do. Terabyte, one terabyte. I'm sorry, one terabyte. <laughs> oh, I didn't man. know you can do one gigabyte SSD either. Yeah, well, that's it's like, a very oh, special. That's a flash drive. Yeah, <laughs> it goes on your thumb. But anyway, the uh, so they've got the one terabyte drive, but I think it was like $700 or something he spent putting it on there, whereas you know you can get the maximum RAM for like a hundred bucks. Yeah, sure. but you can, you can be very functional with uh, a 512 or a, even a 256. I mean, maybe if you want your entire aperture library on there, or maybe if you um, are a big movie hound and you want your entire iTunes library or movie library on there. Yeah. Maybe then you do need to upgrade to a terabyte, but I, I, I wouldn't say that you have to have a terabyte hard drive in order to be productive. I mean, you can, no, you, not can at all. you can certainly no. have an external hard drive. You can certainly have an S a, a, a network attached drive. Yeah. I, I tend to agree that I would much rather limit myself to a 256 gig hard drive and have some external storage for those times that I needed it and, and have an SSD rather than, than not. Well, yeah, um, I mean, the, mine's, the subject mine's a 256. Yeah. I'm talking and about, I, I do fine. I do everything on this computer. I, I, I swap everything off to a network attached four terabyte drive. Yeah. So all my media is transient on this computer. Yeah. What, but what that also helps me that, keep Nash? from getting this huge file system full of garbage too. Using yeah. For what? What, what are you using for that NAS? Um, I have a Mac mini little server that I built. Um, and, I just bought an SSD for that and am uh, and dre- dreading the install process, although everyone tells me it's easy. But I have uh, a, a Thunderbolt 2 terabyte drive hooked up to that and then uh, a USB 3 uh, 2 terabyte drive that also serves as my time machine. Okay, so you're just... Um now that's interesting. I didn't know you could do that. And I guess it makes sense that you can. So just in your Mac Mini, are you running OS ten server on that or just the regular server maverick server okay now do you have to have maverick server i don't think you have to have maverick server in order to share the hard drive i think you can do that just through system preferences and sharing but you do have to have maverick server i believe to use it as a time machine drive correct correct okay all right are you doing anything else with it uh as your server mac um well it it hosts all of my private git repositories and uh well, I, I I duplicate those between my co co located mini at Mac Mini Colo, yeah, and my local one, uh, kind of both as backup, and then uh, and then all my local testing web develop web environments are on the mini and accessible throughout my local network. And other than that, I've only had it for a few months now, and I haven't focused on it. I want to get the SSD in there so I can actually, I want to turn it into a replacement for the Mac Pro, the aging Mac Pro. I think that little 2013 mini with uh, uh, four terabytes of storage and an SSD is going to rock. They're yeah. going to get rid of all the extra monitors and everything at that point? I'm going to, yeah, I'll, I'll narrow that setup down to, right now it's running headless, but yeah. uh, I'll, I'll probably put it on the 27 inch. The, my other 27 inch is like a monoprice ips display yeah i really don't like it very much um 
but I'll probably hook it up to that one and have it serve. I'm also going to do my music creation. I'm going to move that all onto that machine too. It's kind of crazy when you look at how much power you get with a Mac mini compared to something like a Mac pro just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty amazing. I feel and like we're, I think that's what's attractive about it. I think we're in a little box. I, don't you feel like we're kind of in flux right now? We're kind of waiting for these new Mac pros and to see how powerful they really are and how much better they are than everything. Most of us are never going to touch those new Mac pros. Yeah. There's no reason to. Those were those are designed as pro machines. Like like you have to have a job dedicated to using that machine yeah, to I, justify it. I made the comment on Twitter a few months ago saying I just have zero interest in those Mac Pros because I don't do anything that would require that kind of spec. Yeah, they're, they're not made for you and I. They're yeah. not made for hobbyists. And I, I just really love the the laptop setup these days. I mean they're they're mm -hmm. so powerful. You can take it with you anywhere. Um, we have a aging iMac in our house. I think it's four years old now. And I use it for certain tasks, but generally I do everything off my laptop. Yeah, me too. Yeah, you know, I've, and it's how, you know, these machines really are, are getting quite powerful. I was, I was really tempted. I really wanted to upgrade to the new 13 inch uh, Retina MacBook Pro because I've, I've got a MacBook Air that's about 18 months. Not quite two years old now. It was the generation before the Haswells, but it's it's an i seven, and I just have no reason to do that. I mean, the most the 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 highest level thing that I do is I edit a podcast, and you know that's not that's not real high level. I mean, heck, I could do that on whatever the lowest level machine Apple's got out there right now, no problem. Does it? You could probably do it on an iPad. I know. I'm not. I guess I'm not a pro user anymore, am I? I'm not implying that what you do is only deserving of an iPad. I'm just saying yeah, iPads no, have I gotten you. powerful enough. I got you. The, the trouble with the iPad, even though, especially with the A7, it can do a podcast, is it's it's much slower. Yeah. Well, you know, Bradley Chambers and Fraser Spears did a whole, I think Brad wrote it up, but he and Fraser have come up with a whole how you can um, record, edit, and upload a podcast on a, on an iPad. It's pretty awesome. Oh, I have to go read that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I'm on very, Brad's I'm, blog. Blog. I have no, I have no like strong need to do that, but I want to do it. Yeah, well, just to know that you can. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Brett, what is the, cause I know you do a lot of development stuff and you, and mainly web type development, correct? Yeah. Day job is all web stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the tools you use to, to pull that off? My primary tool would be sublime text right now. Okay. Um, I pretty much like I have, uh, my web development toolkit includes uh, Live Reload and CodeKit, at which I consider very essential. And then a ton of my stuff runs in the background uh, in Terminal, watching scripts, compiling less and SAS files, creating sprites automatically. And a lot of that is just uh, just scripting. And uh, And then I have every kind of browser you can imagine, including a parallel setup that runs my IE six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 do you, and 11. Do you have um, any fervor about parallels versus um, what's the other one? Um, VMware. Uh, v VMware. VMware. Yeah. I found VMware way too intrusive. Uh, it wanted to integrate with my system in a way that I didn't really want windows in my system. Yeah. Like I don't, I only, for my purposes, I am loading a VM just to test internet Explorer. 
Yeah. Like I'm not going to do anything else. And I don't want those menus integrated with mine. I don't need coherence. I don't need any of that. Uh, for people that are actually wanting windows on a Mac, I would say VMware is probably the better choice. But for people like me uh, who just need a li- something a little bit faster and, and more flexible than virtual box, which I should probably just go back to using. Uh, but parallels is it's the solution for me. Yeah. Yeah, I I am installed Parallels recently on my Mac at the office because I had some PC only based software that I had to run, and it's pretty cool that you can just all of a sudden, boom, you know, pop up a it is a PC it's app fast. and it's there. It's fast, but Windows is not. I find I'm I'm not good at Windows. I'm sure like people who hack on Windows are extremely fluent in it, but it takes me forever to get through like the Windows eight menus. So yeah. Parallels can be as fast as it wants, but the stuff it runs can't. So then you, as you come up with new web code, you test it on these various platforms. Yeah. And you do it uh, all from your 13-inch MacBook Air. Well, in my 27-inch monitor. Yeah. Like, I can, when I unplug my MacBook Air, it becomes kind of like a, a fast, a word processing machine and a Twitter machine. And if I want to do anything that involves uh, like Xcode or Photoshop or uh, multi-browser testing, I'm going to want to be on my 27-inch screen where I can have Sublime Text up at the same time as a web browser and be able to shuffle things off. Because I, I run the, I keep the Mac open. It's not like clamshell mode. I keep it open and on a stand right next to the monitor. And it becomes like a holding area for Windows I don't want to lose track of. Okay. Yeah, when we had you on a couple of years ago, you were talking about TextMate, and then a religious war ensued in the nerd community about uh, TextMate because they kind of the development really slowed down, and and it looks like it sounds like a lot of um of the people I know and love that do this stuff for a living have have migrated to Sublime Text. It seems like is that that the one everybody's using these days? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, it was a it was a a religious war between BB edit and TextMate. Yeah. And, uh, and the BB edit users are still using BB edit, but the TextMate users are by and large switching over to sublime. And that makes me sad. I loved TextMate, as you know. Yeah. But, uh, but sublime is getting the development love sublime is, uh, it's growing daily as far as the available packages and the things it can do. The API is expanding. It's, it's powerful. At the end of the day, it's a hammer and you need to pound nails. Yes. The, um, uh, now I know you do Xcode for some of your like marked two probably is written in Xcode. Uh, yeah. Do you all, use all of my Mac stuff? Is Yeah, exactly. But do you, what else do you use Xcode for? That's it. Objective C development. Yeah. But I just discovered today that the version control, the, the Git integration in Xcode. Yeah. I had been using Tower externally, and Tower is a cool program, but what's built into Xcode is actually handier and more easily accessible. I'm really, Xcode impresses me once in a while. I mean, it's a really, it's a cool system, and I'm amazed Apple provided it. And it's the reason that, that a lot of uh, otherwise intimidated developers are able to get into Mac development. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's got some features that are a little bit under the, under the hood, I guess they take a certain level of understanding before you're willing to try them. But it's really, it's a very complete system. It's amazing. I mean, I, I learned how to program in basic and then this is like 
the eighties. So <laughs> then I tried to learn assembly code on my Apple II. So I went from basic to assembly code, which is actually kind of like a head blowing jump. At least it was for me as a kid. And whenever I see the stuff you guys have now, it seems like it's so much easier than the stuff they oh, had back is. then. And well, even, even like with, uh, the current, uh, API for, oh, oh, for objective C and Coco compared to the one four or five years ago, it's already, it's, it's twice as easy now. Yeah. Like memory management, things like that. If you build your app correctly, all these retain release cycles you have used to have to do to make a decent application. It just, it just works now. Yeah. You don't have to think about it. And that's, it how, easier they, every and that's day. how they get numbers like a half a million apps in the app store or whatever it is now. Right. Right. And obviously it can lead to some cruft. Yeah. But it also makes it possible for people who have really good ideas to put them, to bring them to fruition. Yeah. I'm in favor of that. I mean, I, I think that the easier it is to make an app, the more, like you said, the more people can, can create something. And and there's a whole segment of the community out there that has ideas for apps that never got made. I, I don't know if this has been made or not. My daughter was doing her homework. She says, I want an app that I can take a picture of my homework and it will tell me if I got any of my arithmetic problems wrong. You know? <laughs> wow. I said, you can't get your computer to do your homework for you. She says, no, I just wanted to check it for me. And I said, you oh, know, a teachers would love that too. Yeah. I said, I wonder if somebody's made that. Hmm. You combine yeah. like PDF pen OCR with, uh, with solver and yeah. Yeah. You have I mean, to have I don't some th- kind of artificial intelligence in it to know what you're trying to do. Mm. I get, but, well, but not the, for arithmetic problems. You well, pick no, up. Not for arithmetic, know, but, but David's daughter is beyond arithmetic. I, no, I, this is my, my oh, younger, your younger daughter. Okay. Yeah. But the fact is that, well, she was 11 at the time she had the idea, but an 11 year old can come up with an idea for an app. Now, I don't think we're that far off. Well, we actually aren't. There are 11 year olds making apps now. So I've heard of, I've heard of 13 and 14. Are there really 11 year olds? Well, I mean, if you look at the, the girls at at junior school. Yeah. Oh yeah. So anyway, I, this is all good and maybe it's a tangent for the show, Uh, but I guess I would like to go back there though. Where, where do you think people should go that want to kind of get into this stuff? I mean, there's so many different kinds of programming and I I don't want to go, I don't want to spend the whole hour talking about this, but, but you know, how did you kind of, how would you recommend to someone wanting to get started on that path now to do so? Well, if you are like me, you can just spend hours digging around GitHub, seeing code that does what you want to do and figuring out how it works. But not everyone is like me. So, uh, there are there are some great books depending on the language you want to learn, uh, but pick up a basic algorithms book. And uh, I mean, if you want to build a code foundation, but the the way that most people get into code is because they have an idea that they want to bring into reality. Yeah, it's much and, easier to learn if you have like a goal. Right, exactly. So, like sitting down cold with an algorithms book isn't it's not fun. You know, it's and it doesn't make sense until for me anyway, it doesn't make sense until you put it into use. So starting with a language like Python or Ruby can be a really good way to learn the learn algorithms and logic as you go and begin problem solving creatively and then picking up syntax. Just don't get pigeonholed into one scripting language, you know, like branch out, learn C, learn objective C. Yeah, it's hard for me to explain because I do. 
I'm autodidactic to some some extent. So I just kind of, I figure out what needs to be done. And it's hard for me to explain to people who are actually capable of reading through an entire book. Yeah. Well, and I've always felt like the, the thing that makes you truly special is not your, the big apps you make, but the little ones. I mean, your ability to identify a problem and come up with a really easy solution that is a script or a service or something. And, and it helps so many people. Uh, well, even spy- on that topic, I was just going to ask, has any of that gotten any more difficult with, with Maverick, some of these scripting solutions that you've come up with? Because you hear people have complained about, oh, well, they've taken scripting support out of this and scripting support out of that. I, I would imagine that for the type of stuff you're doing, you're, you're working at a much higher level or a much deeper level. Much lower level, yeah. And and they haven't actually. I was concerned in the early talks about Mavericks and with the iOSification of OS ten, but no, uh, the AppleScript library in Mavericks has expanded. Apple actually paid attention to AppleScript this time. Sal and had it, a little victory somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and stuff like Ruby and Python and Perl all still like the full Unix distribution is built in. They updated Ruby. We have more power now. It's actually it's it, Mavericks has been fun. I, no concerns. It, you know the the issue of of iWork and AppleScript to me it's kind of a bit of a red herring because I felt like it's never had very good AppleScript support and yeah I've never seen a lot of iWork scripts I guess it's because they just they didn't have the hooks in there to, to build them and Office has always had better AppleScript support I mean part of it was because when um, when Microsoft updated Office. For the Intel Max, they dropped what was it? It was um Microsoft was it Basic? I forget. They had a they had a language. Visual Basic was it Visual Basic? Maybe it was, and they um they dropped that uh, when oh, they BB first script. You're thinking of BB script? Yeah, uh, right? maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I I remember writing in Word Basic where I used to make forms with it. I mean, they, so this has been going on with Office for years, but they but they dropped it at one point when they made the transition to the Intel. So they they hired a, a former guest of ours, Ben Waldy, who made all these great scripts and automator um, actions and all this great stuff for office. Apple's never done that with iWork, but um, they made it even worse with, with the new versions. So I know a lot of people are really upset about that. Um, but, but Brett, so you're, you make these little great little gems that are helpful to everybody. And that's something where I think I could, um, I could learn more on that stuff myself. I talked in the show in the past, I'm going to start doing the, the, um, the course on regular expressions. Cause I feel like, you know, that's something I could probably figure out if I spent a little time studying and, and the way you can drop that into so many applications now and just use it to search. Why not? Absolutely. Regular expressions are I, I, even non-programmers should learn the basics because in, in like just file renaming yeah, or, or any kind of search it's uh it's, it's, it's intensely handy. Did you know Mark can do regular expression searches? I did not. If you type forward slashes on either side of your search, then everything in between becomes a regular expression and it searches the text for it. I mean, one of the, uh, you know, one of the, the mail services I've been looking at is FastMail. Mm-hmm. And I understand you can search your entire mail database with regular expressions. Nice. That's what I, I, that's not verified. I should probably check before I say it out loud, but that's my understanding, which would be kind of nice. David, are you going to do like the the lynda.com course on regular expressions? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, that was my um, 
as strange as that sounds, that was my carrot to myself for finishing an email book is to learn regular expressions. I'm such a nerd. Gosh, they they really, they are fun. And I I often say that writing regular expressions is how I relax. And it's, it it is very, you take a big chunk of text and you, you say, I'm going to figure out how to locate every instance of this pattern that isn't, you know, it's not alphabetically the same every time. Yeah. It's got, you know, looking for an email address. You want to pull out all the email addresses in the text and figuring out how to write a pattern that will match every differing email address. It's a, it's a problem that it doesn't take a ton of, uh, like if branching out and thinking and problem solving. It's just a matter of writing uh, a pattern. What are some other and entry points for people who don't want to become programmers, but want to get a little bit better at automation? Um, I know Federico Vitici's made a big deal about um, learning Python, and he uses that on his iPad quite a bit. Quite a bit, yes. Um, is that something accessible for someone who wants to spend a little bit of time but doesn't want to make a job out of this? Um, what you mean, Python in general, or yeah. like, yeah, I think Python and Ruby are both good. Like, they're both they both re- they have a, a learning curve that by the time you get good at it, you'll be a developer. So it's okay. not like, I mean, Automator is an extremely powerful tool that can incorporate Python and Ruby. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's like editorial on the iPad where, you, well, actually editorial is like automated. Yeah, but, <laughs> that's exactly um, what it is. You, you know, you can drag and drop to do some amazingly yeah. powerful things without having to write a line of code. And I think that's the entry point. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I'm not sure how many people are even interested in this stuff. I think there's a lot of, that listen to our show, though. Brett, the other... Go ahead, Katie. No, I was was going to switch topics a little bit, but go ahead and wrap that up if you want. Well, well, just just to wrap it up, uh, so often I I scratch my head over a problem and I open up Automator and it's already been built for me. I just have to, you know, connect the dots. Yes, it's amazing like that. Yeah. I was going to move us along a little bit, Brett, and just, you know, another thing that you've done since really the last time you've been here, you just started your podcast. And uh, I know it's become quite popular. Over 72 on the, episodes ago. On the Mighty 5x5. Five five. I know, <laughs> has it been that long? I th- you, you've been here, but it was it was fairly new when you were here last time. Yeah. So it's been it's definitely been too long. So tell us how that's going and, and tell us how that how that works, how you how you find your guests. And and I mean, we, we, we talk with podcasters all the time about, oh, what mics do you use and how you record and things like that. But you have kind of a unique show. Well, thanks. I uh, My goal has always been to make a show for nerds that wasn't necessarily computer nerds. Uh, and because I think uh, everyone's interested in... Uh, well, I mean, take for instance, I had an organic farmer on who uses technology in organic farming. Mm-hmm. And, and he's a Windows guy. He has Android phones. Not my typical guest. But it was something that a lot of people told me they appreciated hearing from outside of the kind of the bubble of yeah, the, podcast the, the, right. tech shows. Right. So that's what I always strive to do. Uh, most recently, and just last week, I posted a tool where people can upload five-minute kind of like auditions or introductions. Uh, you know, just pull out a voice recorder and say hello to me. And tell me a little bit about yourself. And I can upload that on my website at uh, brettterpshire.com slash audio drop, all one word. 
And then I, I just get those in my mail and I, I get introduced to all these interesting people. And my show is booking itself at this point uh, for the next couple months. I have some very interesting, very compelling stories that uh, that came to me. Nice. I was going to, I saw that you just put up your call for auditions and we, we've done that a couple of times now when we did show 100 and 150 and we got some, some really interesting folks, but I was going to ask you and and David, maybe we need to put out a call for auditions or something, but prior to that, how did you find some of these interesting people? Um, Mostly I, I just paid attention to, you know, things I was reading, things I was seeing, things I was hearing about. And I would just always, anytime someone seemed compelling, I would send them an email or, or a tweet. And you'll see if you follow my Twitter stream, I regularly like fish and, uh, and you know, I could usually find enough people to fill every week. Um, you know, and I, I bring on a lot of my friends and I've even had my brother on. Um, and because you know, they're interesting. No one gets to be on just because we chatted once. Right. But people who are interesting get invited on. And uh, you had some sparky guy on recently. Yeah. Yeah. It turned out okay. (laughs) I don't know what it is about Brett's show, but I end up talking about a bunch of stuff that I never wanted to talk about on a podcast. He's really good at getting (laughs) me to do that. Politics, religion. Yeah. Yeah. We stray far from the, uh, the tech base. The, um, we're like that too. We've always felt like we want to have interesting guests and some, a lot of times people that nobody's ever heard of, but they, you know, the big thing is they need to be a geek. I mean, we hear from celebrities sometimes that want to be on the show, but we don't let all of them on because David, David's like, would not let me have Hugh Jackman on the show. He was just like, no, Katie, I don't care how (laughs) how cute you think he is. He cannot be on the show because if he's never launched automator, he's out. Yeah. Send me, send me your celebrity overflow because, <laughs> because I, I, and not to toot my own horn, but I have disarming conversations. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And I can, I, I don't interview people so much as have organic conversations. Yeah. No, it's, and it's, it's think, a great show. Really I is. think it's, yeah, because you get the average celebrity on the average podcast and everyone asks the same questions and I abhor the same questions. Well, we'll talk about whatever happens. Yeah. And we're, we're very much more fun. We really want people who, who can help the audience get a little better at something. I mean, it's just kind of a different format, but yeah, see, that's, that's the difference is you, you help people. I, uh, I don't know what I do. I, oh, that's great. I love it. I share, I share, I overshare. Well, I don't help anybody though. You're doing the podcast. You're doing a lot of things. Um, I want to talk about tagging, though. But before we do, I want to talk about our exclusive sponsor of today's show, and that's Smile Software. And my favorite application, probably of all time, is Text Expander. And I just every time my life gets crazy, I have more appreciation of Text Expander. I just released a book, so I'm getting a lot of email, which is kind of ironic because the book's about email. But you respond and- to all of your email personally. I, tr- I actually try to respond, especially from people who are customers and they have questions or something. I try to respond to just about all of it. And, uh, but I do use text expander snippets to keep up with it, or I would never get anything else done. And my, I have this ever burgeoning list of text expander snippets and I just use it so often that sometimes I think I, I think in text expander. <laughs> have you ever, because- have you ever written a text expander snippet on a piece of paper to somebody else? If I answer that question, will you mock me? (laughs) 
No, because I've done that. I've yeah. written a text expander snippet on a piece of paper and handed it to somebody and gone, oh, never mind. Or, or have you ever had text expander not running for one reason or another, and you type in your snippet and you don't hear the familiar plop sound and things don't happen on your screen and your head explodes? It's like, what happened? You know? <laughs> It's like somebody crossed the streams. My text expander is not working, but so I use this app. Wait, wait, I've sent emails with unfinished text expander snippets in them because I have like all my signatures are on text expander snippets. Oh, really? (laughs) And I'm so used to hitting, uh, hyphen equals command shift D. Oh yeah. Hyphen. Let me just put it in my head. Hyphen equals command shift. So, well, command shift D is send. Yeah. All right, right. Gotcha, Hyph- gotcha. hyphen equals they're they're right up next, right to, next, each next other, to each other next yeah. to the delete. Yeah, key. I got gotcha. you. So it's just a it's a two finger tap, but I'm, that fills in my signature, my standard signature. Yeah, and Command Shift D sends the email. So I'm so used to this. Like my right hand hits the two buttons, and my left hand hits the cord, and my email's off. And then you know, like I'll have for some reason had every once in a while, Text Expander will uh, like Chrome will hang Text Expander, not not hang the app. But it'll tell it it's a secure feel and then yeah. Chrome won't let go of it. Yeah. So so Text Expander won't do anything because it's you know, it avoids insecurities. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's it, it's like me too. And I've got like seven different email signatures. And they all they all work like that too, two or three keyboard presses and off it goes. But I do a lot more than that. Just like uh, you know, if there there's a typo in the email book that's gonna be fixed in one point one, which will probably already be out by the time this podcast goes live. But I've got you know, once in a while somebody sends it to me and and I wanna I wanna acknowledge that they took the time to send it to me, but I also want to tell them how it's getting fixed in the next version and you know, where they can go in the meantime. And that's a snippet. You know, as soon as I type something twice, I've got that trigger, that muscle in there that automatically builds a snippet. And, and so often I use these things. Uh, I, I have uh, a lot of them on my Mac. And so you know, that's what text a, expander a pop clip does. extension to build a text expander snippet. Yeah, there is. Did you have anything? You didn't have anything to do with that one, right? I think that was from smile. It must be. What, what does it do? No, you. If if you find yourself repeating the same thing over and over again, there's a pop clip extension that will create a text expander snippet for you. Yeah, but you can just. Yeah, it, well, there's also a service that will do it, and then there's also a keyboard yeah. shortcut that will do it. There's like five hundred sixty-three thousand ways to create a text and, expander and snippet. You can, a, you can hit a hotkey and have your clipboard turn into Ex- a uh, snippet. Exactly. Yeah. That's my method. I just type it out, get it right, check it a couple times to make sure I don't have any typos in there, and then just put a, a snippet key to it, and off it goes. Uh, and Brett keeps coming out with these great ideas for text expander. In fact, that's uh, we're going to put in the show notes a link. Don't you have a page on your website that's got kind of all the text expander stuff you've built in one place? Yep. All in one place, and it can generate custom URLs that, that text expander can read, and it'll update itself automatically. Yeah. See, I, I just once in a while put a collection of the stuff I use on my website. Brett actually makes them into like an application that does things <laughs> for you. People have to go and manually change them if they get them from me. And But uh, this application is just so useful for me and it's $34.95 to get it for your Mac. Um, I use it for, in addition to email signatures, I use it for common text. I use when I'm writing documents, I use it for affiliate links. You know, I've got a snippet that when I want to put an affiliate link in a book, even I'll just, I'll hit command L in the Safari browser, or I'll copy the link from iTunes or whatever. 
and I can just say blog link with no space in the middle, and it automatically creates my iTunes affiliate account and drops in the clipboard uh, right into where it needs to be. So I have that link created with just a very short amount of time. Um, uh, in the day job, sometimes I will need to do uh, lawyers do what they call discovery, where you've got to ask a bunch of questions about one thing. And sometimes I'll have 10 or 12 questions about one thing, but there's 15 different things we have to ask questions about. So I make the 10 or 12 questions. I put a, a um, text expander um, clipboard placeholder in there. So I'll just clip the one piece of data that changes each time and hit the snippets. And man, they just, they just, I pump those things out so quickly. It's really great. Um, there's, there's almost no limit of things you can do with this application. Once you internalize how great it is, we still get emails and we still see tweets from people saying, Hey, you've been talking about this for so many years. I finally went and got it. And I can't believe I waited so long. So if, if you haven't done it yet, this is your chance. Go learn text expander. And if you have found the love and text expander with the holidays coming up, share it with somebody else and show them how they can save days and days of time out of their life. Thanks, Smile, and go check out Text Expander at smilesoftware.com. All right, let's we, talk about t- yeah, tagging. We've been, we've been planning to have this discussion on tagging with you for a long time because David is all excited about tagging in Mavericks. And, and I'm kind well, of can ex- I explain that a little bit? Okay, go explain. Because I, I have generally been the, the uh, anti tagging guy, I've been against tags because I've always felt like it's not supported by the operating system. People are going to pour a bunch of time into making these lovingly crafted tags. And we had a show with bread on tags a couple of years ago. And the, um, it, my, my fear has always been you put all the time into tags and I get why tags are better than nested folders for a lot of things, because you can put multiple tags where you can only put an item in one folder. But I've just always been leery of it because I didn't want the listeners to spend hours creating these tags and then have something change where they didn't work anymore. And then they just had a big bucket of files and no way to figure out what's what. Is that a fair is that a fair concern at this point, Brett? Well, that's always been the concern, yes. Yeah. But now Apple has embraced tags as well and they brought tagging into Mavericks on the Mac. It's not on iOS yet though. That's I guess another question for you in a minute. But um, now with Apple supporting tags, uh, I personally feel a little more comfortable using them because it's part of the operating system. Well, what do you think? The- I'm curious about tags. I want to use tags because I'm, I'm, I'm all about organization, but I've always been a files and folders person. I've all, you know, I've always been nested files and I can tell you exactly it's in this folder and this folder and this folder and this folder and this folder. Boom. There it is. That's a lot of folders. It is. And it is. And I get, I get very deep nested and I don't even use spotlight that often. I only use spotlight when I really can't find something. So Brett, how is tags going to solve my problem? But, you know, before we get to that, let's talk about a little bit about (laughs) what tagging is now in Mavericks, because it's, it's a different monster now. It's not though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's the thing. Let let the expert talk, man. We've had open meta tags for a few years now. Yeah. And the way, you know, and that's what all of us, because originally everyone was trying to create tagging systems with spotlight comments. Yeah. And they're fragile. They disappear easily and they're hard to search. Yeah. And there's you no could, tokenized you multi-word. I mean, there's a lot of reasons not to like those. Right. And then it, so, it, it was our pals over at the company that did. Yep. Right. Yeah. Leap soft, not leap. Uh, oh, ironic, ironic software. Yeah, Ironic came up with Open Meta, and at the same time, the case was then, uh, I forget, but they make Tags app, 
Um, they had come up with their own standard, but open meta was accepted right before they released tags. So they switched tags to use open meta and a bunch of other apps piled on. But the reason I mention this is because open meta uses an extended attribute on the file that actually, as far as the file system is concerned, this data is exactly the same as say the date stamp for last access. Like it's in that level of metadata on the file. Yeah, can, can you explain that a little bit further? So when you have a file, let's say I've got a text file that's just a markdown document that I created with marked. Yeah. Um so that that file is a certain pile of of text or or you know ones and zeros that adds up to that text. And then we have this this extra data on top of like the date created and the tagging or the open meta tags even a few years ago. That's part of the file or that's an attachment to the file? Uh, it depends on how you look at it. See, I Unix, can't figure it out. I'm, I'm confused. In Unix, which, is, which OS X is based on Unix, and in Unix, everything is a file. Like, every prospect, like, your, everything is a file. Your trash can is a file. Yeah. Um, even devices, your monitor is, as far as Unix is concerned, it's a file. Um, so, to... Uh, to make it possible to navigate and organize this file system, uh, Unix has always had attributes on files. So you can see when they were last edited, when they were first created, uh, what the permissions are, things like that. And that is, it's a, it's attached, like it's hard to think about in the 3D space. Um, and because we're used to working in a GUI, we're used to yeah. seeing a folder that we can drag and it has a kind of physical form to it. But as far as the system is concerned, yeah, it's part of the file. So the, I guess the, the point being that those attributes are never getting separated from that file ever. So mm, yep. <laughs> see the, the problem, and I'm sure you've seen like sometimes when you download a file, it'll have an old date on it. Yeah. Like it'll go to the bottom if you sort by date. Yeah. And sometimes it'll have the current date on it. Yeah. Because sometimes different when going, especially between platforms, uh, or even between like your iPhone and your device. And it used to be Dropbox would strip this stuff too. That was my but question. I mean, that like, metadata can get changed yeah. externally without your permission. So uh, that, that Dropbox is exactly where I was going with it. Cause I've had that problem in the past where I've lost metadata just by storing it in Dropbox. Even they have fixed that. Okay. So Dropbox has got that figured out, but I guess the question uh, is the SkyDrive has not, I don't think. So if I put, a file somewhere other than on my Mac, there's a, is, am I, is, is the, I understand the date created is one type of metadata. Is the tagging data going to get lost the same way the date created would? Yes. Okay. And then where are those risk areas for someone who's thinking about tagging? Where, where should they avoid or, or be, if, if it's something they use often, maybe they should just not try tagging until that gets sorted out. Well, see, okay. So, to continue the history, Mavericks tags do the exact same thing as open meta. They just yeah. use a slightly different name on the attribute. So they are just as fragile, but at the same time, just as sturdy as open meta is and was. Um, the, the problem you run into is generally if you give the file to someone else and get it back on my system within, within my system, I've never lost a tag. I've never had a directory come up without tags. Yeah. Open Meta and uh, Mavericks both do a decent job of backing up tags. 
uh, based on the bookmark file. Uh, the bookmark data, like every file has kind of a an ID mm-hmm. that the system can find it. Like, so when you move a file from one place to another and the application still knows where it is because it follows the bookmark data, not the actual file path. Yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff, Mavericks does a great job of keeping stuff stuck with the file. The problem you run into is say, if, if you emailed me a file and I, you know, I open my, my mail client and I save the attachment, chances are the tags are not going to be there for me. Okay, so I, I wasn't aware of that. I thought yeah. that if I mailed it to you on a Mac, you'd be fine. I, I think if you if you if our workflow was purely within uh, even like, Mavericks say, to Mavericks, I think so. I think mm. I think because it's going through an IMAP server, and what the IMAP server does to it, I I don't know IMAP very well, but I've seen tags frequently disappear just because they were email attachments. And so that's why I'm still a little leery of tags. Well, and, and, and that's, that's, um, I'm working on a book about this right now. Yeah. But yeah. We, we'll in talk my opinion, about that too. Yeah. In my opinion, tags are for personal systems. You can make them work in group settings, but as far as developing any kind of external tagging system, there's no point. And there probably never will be. Tags are for organization on your machine for files that you create and and need to locate you know over time like one an example of how i'm using tags with mavericks is one of the issues i have in my paperless workflow is sometimes i get a bill that i need to pay like my medicals with kaiser so kaiser sends me a bill and i scan it in and it was always a big deal for me because my system is so automated that i mean i put it in the scanner and it scans it ocrs it files it, it does everything for me so i don't really think about it to the extent that once in a while a bill gets filed and I don't think about it and I don't pay it, you know, cause I, the thing just went through the system and I didn't stop to make an OmniFocus task or something. And now what I've done is every category of bill I have that falls in that, that type of thing, it gets a Brown pay me tag. And I do that through Hazel cause Hazel can now put Mavericks tags on files. Yep. So if I, if I scan a document that's in that category, it automatically puts a tag on it. And I just, I just look in my finder for that tag and I see a group of bills that need to get paid. Once I pay them, I untag them and they disappear. See, and that's, that's one of the things that I consider like a not best practice is things that you have to untag. All right. So what I do is like, if I were in that scenario, I would, I would use the, I would use Hazel and I would tag, you know, things I would mark them as, bills just as bills not as unpaid but everything that's a bill and then i would create a smart finder folder that checked for say a a second attribute or an additional tag because the problem with tagging things that you have to later untag is that eventually after a year you know or six months or whatever it takes you're going to end up with a bunch of files that are still tagged because you didn't have time or you forgot or Once the humans get involved, things get screwed up. Right. If you use a tag called important, I guarantee you that in one year you'll have no idea what's important anymore. Yeah. Um, Because you never, you never finish with something and think, oh, I have to go make everything unimportant now. Um, So, but, but you can search for a second attribute and say like any bill that with like smart folders or with uh, who to spot or even with Hazel, 
Uh, you could say any build that is marked as paid but hasn't been moved to, you know, another folder. So then from your smart folder, you could then add a second tag and have Hazel say, okay, that's paid, move it into this other folder, and then the smart folder will ignore it. Yeah. I, so I, I, guess, am- I guess the tip would be to use a paid tag instead of untagging. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. I I need to um I feel like tagging is something I'm really interested in, but I don't I just haven't got my arms wrapped around how it fits in my life. And I don't want to just tag just for the sake of it. I want to use it if it makes me more productive. Well, and uh and that kind of leads into what you've been working on. It's not a secret, right? You're you're writing no. a book on this and doing it for um Take Control, which is Correct. one of the premier publishing houses on the in the in the macosphere, I guess is that a word? And uh I am so looking forward to reading it when you write that book, Brett. It's it's coming along nicely. They're really yeah. fun to work with too. Yeah. Now what do you think about the differences between open meta tags and Mavericks tags? There really isn't one. In fact, most of the open meta apps are now mirroring to Mavericks tags. Yeah. So it was a seamless transition for me to take my a few years of tagged files and start using with Mavericks tags. Like it, I didn't even blink. All of a sudden, it just everything worked. I'd like to hear how you are using tags now that you've uh, you've you know, pointed out the error of my ways. <laughs> well, I, I use I use a shallow folder system. Like it's not one big bucket. I use folders to kind of divide up contexts. So I've got like a writing folder, a work folder, and uh, like an archive folder. I have about five top level folders. And then say my work folder breaks up into my day job and it breaks off into freelance stuff and consultation. And then each one of those will have one folder for a client or a project. And that's about as deep as I go. I don't separate by years or anything like that. Uh, Yeah. When files get old enough, I I do, I archive them off my system. But um, within each of those, well, here's the interesting part is I actually have Hazel set up so that I can collect everything on my desktop during the day. Uh, Everything, every new file just gets saved to my desktop. I hit command D in the save dialog and hit enter. Yeah. And then at the end of the day or, you know, the next day, if there's not enough to worry about, I go through and I tag the files that are still worth keeping that need to be archived. And I add in my system, if I had a pound writing tag and then I use a colon and say the name of a a project and then another colon in the same tag and the name of like uh, a specific type of like, if it's a receipt or if it's uh, a video file, like I'll tag that. And then my Hazel notes any tag that starts with a pound sign, picks it up, it uses the pound sign to determine which of the top-level folders, and then it finds matching folders for each of the topics, and it'll file it in there for me. And uh, if a directory doesn't exist, it'll actually create a path from the colon-separated tag. Okay, so because I use that system, I I can use the same colon tags on different pound tags, so I can have the same associated files filed into different top level contexts. And that allows me then to create smart folders where I can say, show me all of the video files I've worked on in the last week. And it doesn't matter what they were for. And then I can add a pound to the search yeah, and say, only show me work files, only show me video files from my day job. 
So I, it's I easier to separate and cross folders that way. I, I did make a note of the timestamp, though, because I'm going to listen to this one more time when it comes out. But I think I'm with you. No, so I don't you, think that so made you, any sense. So it's hard to explain. You're using a combination tagging and smart folders with date filters to mm-hmm. be able to get to very specific data very quickly. Yes. And uh, have you ever heard of um, Trickster? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a little Trick- menu bar app that yeah, does some and crazy they just stuff. added. Uh, I think it just came out this week, but um, it's called. Uh, they have tag based folders in there now. Oh, really? So you can do tag searches in Trickster, so you can get your date based like sorting and quick searching based on tags. I'm going to have to re-download Trickster. I bought that a while ago. Yeah, it's one of those apps that if it if it doesn't stick, it doesn't stick. But if you get used to it and you come to rely on it, it's really uh, it, it's very integral to a workflow. What do you think, Kinda Katie? Like pop clip. I like the, I like the idea of tagging. I really I don't know if I'm sold. It, it's going to be hard for me to give up my um my files and folders. I, mean, I guess the point is I you, guess don't you don't have, have to. to. Yeah, I see. Right. What you're well, saying. the point is the point is you have a problem and you need to just cut back. Yeah, cutting back cutting back is a good good thing. Now, I think where tags could be really powerful for me is if they would be integrated with even just Mavericks apps. I mean, I know that there are third-party solutions that you can use to tag within Apple Mail, but if I could if I knew that I could integrate tagging within Mavericks in my mail, uh, although I guess that wouldn't translate to other systems because of the IMAP problem though. Well, you know. well, here's here's the problem with mail. Mail is a very specific issue because yeah. a like if to open meta apps that tag mail right now, they use a combination of tags on the file representation of the email, which are uh, they're dangerous because those files can change and they're not always saved to the system at the time that you want to tag them. Mm-hmm. And they combine that with IMAP keywords and then they have to sync those two and then the keyword headers allow IMAP to do round trip tags. That's what mail tags uses. Um, but, but there are so many issues with the way that mail stores with the file representation of an email on the disk. It's not easily taggable tags work on files like that. The system can actually read instead of stuff that's just referenced from a database. Yeah. It can and, get messy. And in my mind, tagging email has always been a completely different thing than tagging files. Yeah, I have true. a total of five tags that I use in email. Yeah. Now, do you think that we're ever going to get to a point where we're going to have these tags on our Mac show up on our iOS devices? Well, yeah, and I think that speaks to Katie's point, too, is um, tags are really only useful if they're universally available. Um and and right now, obviously, they're not on iOS. I think they have to be. I think there's no question in my mind that Apple is bringing tags to iOS, to yeah. any iCloud-based app, because I believe that the reason they introduced tags was to solve the iCloud issue. Uh, with everything sandboxed and everything, and, and most apps kind of lacking any kind of deep folder system capability now, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, iCloud stuff, Tags are the only way to organize and search in a, in a shallow system like that. Yeah. And well, uh, there, it's, it's kind of useless for people that are heavy iOS users. If you tag all your keynote documents, but then can't search them, it's, it's, it's a futile system. 
not like a feudal system, but a futile system. Futile. So uh-huh. people have to work for their. Is futile. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm um, sorry, I, I couldn't let that go. I think Mavericks was announced. Well, maybe Mavericks and iOS Seven were announced the same day. Now I think about it, but I, it seemed to me like it was a natural when I saw what they were doing with Mavericks that it was going to show up on iOS Seven. And I've said this before. I I I think when they when the penny drops and if they have a tie gain system that reliably works between both the iOS and the Mac. Boy, it becomes a lot more a lot more interesting to me at that point. Yes, I agree. And and like I said, I it has to happen. Like yeah. it, well, it does doesn't it, make sense for it not to be part of the plan. Does it finally solve the where are my files problem? Are they on my Mac or are they in my iCloud? I, I I would hope that that's the end goal. I, I I'm hoping that we're not all forced to be in iCloud. Because yeah. I I do like having a few folders uh that I can access through Finder. Um, but I do think that tags would be a great bridge between those two storage methods. I, I always felt like, uh, I think they had their hands full trying to get iOS seven out the door for oh, the no iOS. Yeah. And if we're going to see tagging on iOS, it's going to be iOS eight or later. I, I just don't see it as something just showing up one day. Well, you have to see too, that they're easing us into a new way of thinking. Yeah. Like folders, like Katie's, hierarchy of folders is going to disappear within the next five years. Like it won't, it it won't be possible. They're easing you into a way of thinking about things in a less like physical desktop kind of uh, mentality. And if you look at Katie as an example, um, for all that you say, you love your folders, Katie, I I know that you store a lot of documents in Evernote. That's true. And and Evernote is a perfect example. And it's more tagging than it is. And folders and ever one level of notebooks. Well, let me go any deeper. You're right. Yeah. Then one level of notebooks. Although I don't tag as often as I should never know. Well, but, but content search is a big part of it too, though. Right. Why, and, why I tag mean, when I, I can search and find everything? Well, and that's oh, another rule of that? mine. <laughs> another rule of mine is I don't tag with existing data. Like I don't tag with dates because there's already a date on the file. Yeah. I don't tag with content because Spotlight's going to find it if it has the content or it's in the title already. I don't waste time tagging that stuff. Um, and and Spotlight would, you know, on iOS, Spotlight needs some some development to be truly as powerful as what the Mac can do. But on the Mac, Spotlight, you almost don't even need to tag. It's It's powerful enough to find anything. Tagging just makes it very easy to do specific searches. Yeah, and to keep it within a certain area. Yes. Well, I sure hope they bring it over to iOS 7. I'm, I'm sorry, just iOS in general, probably not iOS 7. The, um, what do you think about the, I guess, the limitation on the colors and the tags? I've read some people are not happy about that. But that's just tied into the old technology, right? I haven't touched the colored tags. I don't care about colors. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, well, I that's, that's so it maintains some kind of cross-compatibility with the old labels. Exactly, exactly. Right. Right, and I never used labels. In fact, it, in in Finder, uh, my top tags there are no colors now. Yeah, um, I, I have to admit I don't use colors either. Just, yeah, I don't. I don't really care about the how, colors. How many tags are you do you have in your system currently? Mm. Well, I I pare it down fairly often. There's probably um, let me do show all tags. There's probably a couple hundred here. Um, some of them need to be deleted because they only reference like one file at this point. Yeah. There's no, there's no point in having a single tag that has one file attached to it. 
Yeah. Uh, tags have like to be thing common. With the yeah. And I have a couple tags that uh, need to be merged because they have different capitalization or whatever. Yeah, so that's um, something for, I always just lowercase all mm-hmm. metadata, just no that's, capitalization at all. That's my new rule, except for those pound tag, pound tag tags are like hash sign tags. Yeah. I always capitalize and that's just force of habit. I have no that's, logical reason to I think to that's do the that. programmer in you. <laughs> but it's all about consistency. Like for me, that's, it's natural. I capitalize every hashtag and I lowercase and single word lowercase no no punctuation no spaces no camel casing that's the easiest way for me to always know that i'm using the exact same tag again yeah well that that i ran into that even with stuff i did at max sparky when i first started writing is i would tag um posts and i would have some with uppercase and some with lowercase and it was like i was drinking i just had no idea what i was going to do from one day to the next and it occurred to me lowercase everything and then i brought that into all the tagging systems i use in email and on my mac as well and you learned the hard way just like i did i just never think about it it's always lowercase yep yeah i actually wrote i wrote a script i wrote a gem for ruby uh for my jekyll blog because tagging because my system is all static and all my searches are very uh, relationship oriented, it was imperative to have exactly consistent tags and JTAG allows me to, if I, if I, it well at first it scans my document and auto tags, which is another feature that I think OS 10 need, well, rife for third party developers to jump in on. Yeah. I, um, I can see you do doing like something Devin, with that. Yeah. I'm working, I'm working on some stuff, Yeah, but, but Devin <laughs> thing does a great job of it. Uh, yeah. But uh, but JTAG, it'll scan the text, it'll suggest tags, and it will check tags to make sure there's nothing that matches them uh, with a fuzzy search that doesn't have an exact alphanumeric match. Now what is what is JTAG? I've never heard of it before. It's a it's a command line utility for Jekyll. Okay, the blogging system, yeah. and so you may never need to hear of it, but it's just a little script I wrote. Nice, nice. Well, I I do think that this is something of the future. I think tagging is becoming a thing and, you know, Apple is definitely kind of leading us down that path. I, I frankly had my doubts as to whether Apple cared at all about it. And I was always kind of afraid of it for that reason. Sure. We all were now that they've embraced it. Um, I feel a lot more confident about using it, but I still need to kind of figure out how I'm going to use it. And like Katie, I'm not giving up my nested folders just yet, but I could definitely see myself uh, incorporating at least elements of tagging in the things I'm doing. When do you think the book's going to come out? Um, I'd give it a couple months. Okay. Well, we're Partly we're going to mention it on the show. Season in here. We're definitely going to mention it on the show when it comes out. And um, and everybody out there, if this stuff is making your head fuzzy. Think about it a little bit, because I do think that that's where we're all going to be in the not too distant future. I'm going to get so much email about that comment. Yeah, well, tell them to tell them forward, forward it to me, because I'm curious to know the reaction uh, to, to a statement like it's actually an imperative, you know, to tell people that Apple is. It's not a suggestion from Apple. It's it's a, uh, impending change well i can tell you in my mind the fear i have is nested folders have never failed me you know moving from platforms moving from different operating systems uh, nested folders have always made the transition and the stuff has been where i thought it would be 
and and tagging isn't there yet. That's I mean, like fair. you said, if you know, if, if I had stored the stuff in Dropbox, I might have lost the tags. Not anymore, but I mean, there was a time no, when that was an that's issue. Correct. And, that's true. And that you know, the biggest fear I have is feeling like I you know wasted a bunch of time on some fiddly thing that's not giving me dividends anymore because somebody somewhere changed a setting and it stripped all the tags out of all my files. That's scary. Yes, I, 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 yeah. whole, I wholeheartedly agree with the anxiety surrounding that. It, it's, it's justified. Yeah. But there, at this point in the game, there are so many good kind of uh, fallback systems in place. Yeah. I, I honestly, I haven't run into any horror stories like that in three or four years. And, and, and the fact that Apple is now... You know, right. they're, it's they're gonna, in they're the gonna, game. They're going to make every effort to avoid tags being lost. Yeah. Well, guys, I know it's getting late and we do have the music topic to cover. So before we go there, I do want to take a quick break and talk about another product from our exclusive sponsor this episode. And of course, I'm talking about PDF Pen and the PDF Pen entire line of products, really. But I really want to talk about PDF Pen Pro by Smile. And uh, I used PDF Pen Pro extensively this past week. I was I was away at a conference, and it was one of those conferences, and it was a continuing education conference. But you know where the people will give you the the PowerPoint, and then they'll give you the handouts, and the PowerPoint has like those three or four lines on the side of each slide for you to take notes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I love that. Just yeah. love that. I know. I know it's horrible, but I had a hundred a uh, hundred and twenty something pages with three to a page because this was a, a three-day conference of of powerpoints and it was it was really in depth and i had talked to somebody who had i, I knew that this was a new area for me i knew that i was going to take a lot of notes and i really struggled with how am i going to take notes for this conference you know if i take just a legal pad with me and i take notes on a on a piece of paper that paper is never going to sync up with the content from the powerpoint and i'm never going to use that and it, they're just going to get separated they're going to get lost and those notes are going to be useless and i thought about well i could take my ipad I could take my Mac, I could take notes in Evernote or something like that. And and then I thought, well, you know, they've they've made all these PowerPoints, they've got all these hypotheticals, they've got all these examples. I probably need to just take notes directly on this PowerPoint. And I thought, well, I could print out this 160-something pages of PowerPoints and take notes by hand. But, you know, realistically, after page three, my hand's going to cramp up and you're not going to be able to read this. So what I did is I took the PowerPoint that they sent us in advance or the PDF of the PowerPoints that they sent us in advance. I loaded up into PDF Pen Pro on my Mac and they've got this great uh, feature that's new in PDF Pen Pro version six, where you can um, automatically detect form fields in a, in a particular PDF. And so it went through and it said, oh, well, these lines that you've got on the side of this PowerPoint page, obviously you're meant to write something there. So it went through this huge document and detected all of these form fields and made those text fields for me. So I could type text in these fields. Now, these were not form fields before, but PDF Pen knew that that's what these should be. And within a matter of minutes, or really seconds, actually, had created these into form fields. I also set it up because PDF Pen has built in OCR. With the click of a button, I took this PowerPoint, which of course had had text on the PowerPoint slides that it had on the PDF, and I made the entire uh, PowerPoint presentation for three days worth of activities searchable by OCRing all the text in PowerPoint. So when they were talking about a certain topic or if I lost my place, I could search anywhere within PDF Pen and boom, jump right to where I was supposed to be 
in the PowerPoint. So it was huge. I was able to type in notes on my Mac, so I know that I'm going to be able to go back and read those notes. I was able to search and scan the text with PDF Pen for OCRing. And then because PDF Pen syncs with all of your favorite services, whether it be Dropbox, whether it be iCloud, that meant that that document was with me no matter where I was. Some days I took my Mac, some days uh, we took projects out to lunch and we worked on them. So I just took my iPad and I took my iPad with me and I was able to take all of the materials for this conference on my iPad in PDF Pen, annotate them, make notes, highlight things, add comments with extra notes, draw little arrows on things because some of these were interactive hypotheticals. It was absolutely amazing. And of course, PDF Pen, that was just one example over this past week of how PDF Pen really saved my bacon and made this a much more productive work week for me. But PDF Pen is really my all-purpose PDF editor and my all-purpose PDF reader. I use it to um, read PDFs. I use it to OCR documents. I use it to rearrange pages in PDFs. I use it to redact text in PDF when I need to do that. I use it to- Convert them to Word. Yeah, converting to Word is a huge thing. Um, I use it to fill out forms. I use it to create PDF forms, just like I did with this form. And of course, PDF Pen is everywhere now. They've got versions for the Mac, and they've got versions for your iPhone and your iPad. So no matter where you are, you've got PDF Pen at your fingertips. And of course, check out the new PDF Pen Scan Plus, which will let you take documents with your take snapshots of documents with your iPhone or iPad's camera and convert them into OCR's PDF. So. Absolutely amazing. There are all kinds of different versions of PDF Pen depending on what you need, but the one that I recommend is PDF Pen Pro for your Mac. It's available for 100 bucks, either through PDF Pen's website over at smilesoftware.com or through the Mac App Store. There's a free trial, so you can test all this stuff out before you buy it. And then while you're there, go ahead and pick up PDF Pen for your iPad and for your iPhone, and you're good to go. You know what I do when people ask me for my slides in, adv- in advance? Because I, I hate that. You, pro- I hate you that. probably sent it to him because your slides are useless in advance. Well, you've got like actually, a picture. You've got like a picture of a dog on one slide and then a fire hydrant yeah, exactly. on the other slide. <laughs> exactly. I have a um, a presentation that I put together, and it's like a hundred slides, and each slide has a different picture of some clip art I've bought over the years, and it it's got no titles. It's just a list. It's like a. It's I don't know what you call. It's just a bunch of slides with pictures on them, and I just send it to them. If they ask for my slides in advance, it's the same one every time. I'm like, well, I, I'm, it's very descriptive. And I always wonder what people think when they look at those slides. <laughs> All right. Well, this was a little bit different conference than the one that you, if, if you yeah, had attended, it would have been a much better conference, I'm sure. If I, you I, had went, presented. I had I had a case, I had a thing where I was going to present with a guy and he had all these slides with like, it was like really small type, just words everywhere. You know, it was a government quality yeah, that's what presentation. And um, and I said, you don't really understand. This is how I do it. And I sent him my slides, which like, you know, it's a picture of a grapefruit, you know? So, so he says, Oh, I get it. I get it. So he, I show up and he's supposed to be doing the slides and he took all of my art and he put it on top of his words or underneath the words. Seriously? <laughs> I, just, I wanted, to, I wanted to hurt myself anyway. Uh, uh, let's get back to things yes. now, Brett, in, a, in addition to, uh, your programming prowess and, uh, and all these other things you're doing, you're also quite active with your music, right? Uh, less so right now than I have been in the past, but yeah, 
I, I, would, I, I just feel like you're kind of like me. We, we're kind of hobbyists at this point. We like to have fun with it, but we don't. You're not in a regular band, right? No, nah, not anymore. Yeah, but but you have every time I see a picture of your setup, you've got like guitars and stuff all over the yeah. place. So yeah. So what are you doing? What am I doing? Yeah, I like to I like to write. I like to play, and I like to record. I like uh, all of that in my basement. I've lost the motivation to play out, but I'm happy to send out recordings of what I do in here. Um, so I, I really, I enjoy music. I enjoy the, the intersection of technology and music. Um, it's not a career for me. It's definitely a hobby. And uh, I, I, I collect, accidentally collect guitars. I only have like four or five, five. I'm not sure that qualifies. I mean, I've seen most of people I know that say they collect guitars have like 20. Yeah. 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 But anyway, um, I have, uh, I have some MIDI keyboards. I use logic pro and, uh, and a bass and I build everything on my Mac and occasionally release a song. Have you ever, have you ever tried the garage band on the iPad? I have. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's. There's some parts of it that I think are better than than GarageBand on the Mac. More intuitive, yeah. But it, Garage, no. the latest version of GarageBand blows me away on the Mac too. Like it's just it's so easy to make music so quickly. Does the GarageBand on the on the iPad still have the the ten minute recording limit? Do you know? I've never recorded that long on the iPad. Yeah, my songs never last yeah. that long. I run out of ideas. I asked from a podcasting <laughs> perspective, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Did I didn't know it ever did, but I would assume that's changed. I did last last Christmas. I did a um because the song "Drummer Boy." I've always just hated it. There's something about the repetitive nature of it that I've just never liked. So I decided I was going to do my own arrangement of it, and for for giggles, I did it on the iPad. And you know, using you know some of the the bass riffs and you know setting up the right drum kind of feel for it. It was so easy. It was some of the most fun I've had composing music. And it was so easy on the on on the iPad, but see, I don't nice. play the guitar, so for me, it's all my MIDI keyboard and whatever else I can convince my Mac or iPad to do for me. Do you remember the days when MIDI keyboards had 128 sounds? Yeah, and they were terrible. Oh, they really were. I had um, the, the better they tried to make them, the worse they got. Oh yeah, exactly. I um, this is like 1985, 86 maybe. I uh, I was doing a lot of work as a musician. I just graduated high school. And I wasn't even sure what I was going to do with myself, but I was doing a lot of, of studio work for an 18-year-old. And I had a MIDI sax. It was one of the first ones. And I had a Roland sound canvas. I think I had that one. Oh, man. The sounds in that were so terrible. Yeah. I yes, mean, I recall just, it. Yeah. I um, mean, I thought they were great at the time, but I actually uh, see, found even it. Even back then, I felt limited by them. Yeah. If well, I had known what was in store, I, I would have, I would have cried. Yeah. Now, do you because, do much of that? What kind of MIDI stuff? Cause I'm thinking Brett Terpstra, you know, super programmer and MIDI that there's gotta be something kind of cool coming out of D- that. David wants you to work on it so that when he hits, what was the chord you were going to hit on your, on your keyboard and the rocket launcher in your backyard goes off or something? Um, well, I haven't decided which chord I'd use, but it would be something out of a Thelonious Monk song. So it yeah. would be I can unique. tell you right now how to do that. They, see? Do you want to know Perfect. how to do that? Go. Yeah, let's hear it. Get an X10 module. Okay. I know what those uh, are. They still make okay. those? 
Yeah. Well, right. Insteon is far more popular now. But, okay. But you can pick up the old X10 ones for like 50 cents and put it on an extension cord mm-hmm. out to whatever ignites your rocket. Okay. And then from your computer, just use uh, key, Keyboard Maestro. All right. See, I knew MIDI, Keyboard MIDI, Maestro could do this. Yeah, it takes MIDI input. And yeah. So then you just assign when this note plays or this these notes send this signal. Just trigger your X10 module and launch your rocket. Did you ever see that cartoon with Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam where they were playing the piano concert? I don't remember yeah. that one. And he, he wired one key with a, with Explosive a TNT. Explosive or something, yeah. Acme mm-hmm. TNT. And Bugs kept playing the wrong note at the end, and it was making Yosemite really angry. <laughs> at the end, he said, let me show you how to do it. And I remember the song. Yeah. That sounds pretty much like every plot. And then... That was when he blew himself up. Every Bugs Bunny plot. Yeah. Just with a piano. It was great. It's great. Well, I, I think that um, the nice thing about the music these days is you don't have to be a musician to start making stuff with it. And I, I think in 2014, I, I'm, I'm pitching this right now, Katie, so feel free to shoot me down. But doing a show, maybe we'll bring Chris Breen back and just talk about musician or, or uh, garage band for non-musicians because i think there's so many non-musicians out there that have garage band and they've never opened it or they opened it once and it looked kind of intimidating to them and they don't realize that just about anybody can make music with this stuff these days i'd be interested in that because i'm i'm yeah. not a musician you know i always use garage band for the podcast but and i know you can still do that they've taken some of the podcast specific features out of it but you certainly can use it to edit audio files have, have you ever played with the drummer track, the new one? I, that, you know, I, so I was finishing this book and my whole life has been kind of like on hold and then things have been busy at the, the day job too. So I haven't yet, but I intend to download those. Like one of the things I saw in the demos, it has fills and that's always well, been a problem for me. I want to put a fill at the end of a song or something and it's really hard. And I guess right, it's, with, it's with this though, it's practically uh, like an artificial intelligence drummer. Yeah. Where you can tell it, here's your style, here's the amount of swing to use, uh, here's how much each one of these drum elements should come into play, and then let it go, say, I want this many fills, every this many measures, and it'll just build a track. It's a custom track that you, there's a good chance no one else will ever have the exact same track again. Yeah. I, I don't uh, know. We, we may have just lost the whole audience by now, but I know that when I was playing music a lot there was a a couple drummers i worked with often and they learned how i played yeah i was a saxophone player and when i would do solos or even just a melody they could anticipate where i was going to put emphasis or where i was going to do some kind of like a fill or a pattern and they would just match me and it just felt magical and that, that would be cool. That's the one thing I've never felt like with, because I make music for like when I make screencasts all the time, I put little music tracks together and just getting the drummer to like sound remotely human is, it seems impossible. So I think this will be a really nice improvement. Yeah, this is, it would be cool if it could detect like velocity on your keys and figure out where to, where to hit a snare, but it's not quite that artificial intelligence yet, but yeah, it's really, really easy. Like you don't have to have any musical skill. Yeah. To lay down a really great track. And then you probably need some musical skill to put anything on top of it. Although the audition feature in GarageBand pretty much covers that too. The, uh, then there's, you know, then there's a couple different apps. Now you say you're doing most of your work on Logic. 
So yeah. I've been kind of talking GarageBand. How well, do you Logic like the new Logic? The drummer track is the only reason I know so much about it. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Uh, I'm, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I missed the end of your sentence, though, because I interrupted you. No, I'm a little intimidated by Logic. You know, when Me you too. look at it, there's just a lot going on there. Like, you know, you know, JF, you know, our guests on prior shows and guys helped us out a lot is like a pro at it. And I get really kind of intimidated when I get in there where GarageBand, I have no trouble. Right. And I had actually uh, um, a couple months prior to buying Logic, I had previously had a copy of Logic back on Lion. Yeah. And I had come to enjoy working with GarageBand enough for the stuff I do that I had decided not to make the upgrade to the new Logic X. And uh, I just I decided to stick with GarageBand and I was having a great time. But then suddenly I had extra money in uh, iTunes gift cards that almost covered. I think it was it's like a two hundred dollar purchase. Is that right? Yeah. It almost covered it, so I decided to make up the difference and just get it. And I deleted GarageBand on my Air just because it didn't make sense to have two two huge yeah apps. If I had, you know, I kept the bigger one. And uh, yeah, I've been I've been learning my way around. It's I think it's a step up the new version, but it is intimidating. Uh, I used to do a lot of work in like Cubase, and uh, I, I'm used to the the kind of the language, the design language of these, but I'm not a pro at knowing what all these knobs and dials do yet. And do you do a lot of like sound processing where you take like a track and apply some of those filters to it? I did when I was in high school. I, yeah. I've actually been trying over the years to do as little sound processing as possible to still like to, to actually get good at playing instead of processing. Yeah. Like for me, uh, I'll, I'll record a track and then I'll go through just like the stuff I used to do. I'll, I'll, I'll add, you know, another, I'll add a bass line or I'll add different instruments using my MIDI keyboard, but I don't do much in terms of, you know, applying filters and layering the sound. And, and I'm sure there's a whole art to that. I just feel like I would make it so much worse if I tried. Well, yeah. And, and that's the thing is a lot of us, uh, hobbyists, uh, amateurs, uh, former semi pro, I don't know. Yeah. Um, we, we tend to hide mistakes by adding chorus and reverb and occasionally distortion. Or even and just the it, ability to, to auto correct a MIDI signal. I mean, it's right. so, so such cheating and occasionally I do it, <laughs> but you can hear it when somebody goes crazy with that and every note is exactly on beat and it, it feels to me so artificial. Yeah, well, it was it was actually it was back in the '90s when uh, Cubase and other apps introduced the humanize function, so you could quantize and it would intentionally yeah. introduce mistakes into yeah. the quantization. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little and, scary. Well, yeah, but you're right. When something's right on, you have you ever heard the band Underworld? No, uh, it's like a techno kind of okay. techno. Yeah. But but they did an album where they spent a year like hold up moving MIDI notes around on a screen so that nothing was perfect but everything sounded perfect. You had to listen like it was humanized. Yeah. You had to listen very carefully, but you could hear these inconsistencies that made it very um approachable. Yeah. It wasn't just a drum machine pounding out of four four. Katie Katie only um what kind of music do you listen to, Katie? I listen to a lot of singer songwriter stuff. Yeah, but do you do you ever have you ever played with GarageBand? You know, 
given a shot. I've edited the podcast in GarageBand. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever taken a stab at writing music? No. You got to try open up iPad one day and just get your you're our test case for this this potential show, Katie. You got to just open up um GarageBand on your iPad. It's pretty amazing. I mean, they even have the the right chord, you know, palette built in right there. Well, have you noticed, Brett, that now in GarageBand on the iPad, I guess this isn't really that new, you can put whatever chords you want in there and they will build those little tracks around them. Yes. Because there's a couple songs I like that are just completely nuts because, you know, I'm a jazz guy, but you can put whatever chord you want. You put it in there, you're good. And the uh, the auto guitar thing? Yeah. Like, I, I have a, I have a, uh, con- conductive. What's the word? When it's rubber, but it conducts your. Anyway, I have a guitar pick. Yeah, made of rubber. Oh, really? That I can play the iPad with, mm. and it's not practical for much of anything, but it's kind of fun. I could see you doing that. <laughs> Sitting there strumming your iPad, strap it onto a broom, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a whole new uh, layer to air guitar. <laughs> All right. Well, I am um, Brett. Thanks for coming in and good luck with this new book. I don't want to keep you too long. Cause I want you to finish it. Well, I, I, yeah, it's, it's late and I'm tired, but I wanted to tell you, uh, apropos of nothing that mailmate is rocking my world. You know, I've got that from a lot of people. Well, I wrote about mailmate in the email book and, and they actually made significant changes to the app while I was in the process of finishing the book. And for my 1.1 list, I'm going to actually update MailMate because they've got some new stuff going on there. It's not just the, uh, I mean, the, the problem I had with MailMate was it felt to me like um, the the utilitarian email mm-hmm. application. That's that, why I penned it like a year ago. Yeah. I got it back last week and said, whoa, this yeah. is amazing. And they've done some crowdsource funding to, to even get it better. And it's always had this amazing search feature. So Yeah, the search is just amazing and the smart folders are amazing yeah the rule system is amazing sorry i didn't mean to drag out this podcast i just had to get it off my chest no that's okay which means that we're going to start getting a bunch of mailmate stuff from brett perfect i've already started a bundle it's on github it has nothing useful in it yet but it will yes (laughs) (laughs) all right well let's go ahead and wrap it up there we will of course have links to everything that we talked about in this episode in the show notes which you can find at our website at macpowerusers.com or at 5x5.tv slash mpu slash 167 for this episode brett where do you want to send people to find you well i am tt scoff on all social networking services and i'm at brettterpstra.com yeah, I guess I guess we should mention um, I'm Katie Floyd on Twitter. David is Max Barkey, and the show is Mac Power Users. Yeah, and you can get us through email at feedback at macpowerusers.com. Yeah. And uh, that will wrap us up for this episode, and we'll be back next week with something new for you. So we'll see you next time. Bye.